0: The text for this morning's message is taken from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19. So, if you would, if you take your Bibles and turn to that, and if you don't have a Bible, there's a Pew Bible in front of you, and you can find that passage on page 1033. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. I feel
1: so uh, encouraged to come to a God like you in this message who bounces children on his knees and carries out divine decrees. And when your breath is almost gone, gives your mother's heart to John. You are a great God, and we do love to meditate upon the ways of your love light Lord what would we do without your word so draw near now and open my mouth with truth and build your church here for the sake of the city and the nations oh God build a strong church you have promised I will build my church and the gates of Hell will not prevail against it. So I ask, would you right now fulfill that promise through your mighty strengthening word? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hebrews is almost over now. You've been in it for almost two years and It's coming to an end, and as it comes to an end, the writer, I think, is pondering that fact and asking himself the question, when I'm done with these 13 chapters, though he didn't divide his book into chapters, when I'm done with this, what's going to happen in that church? Who's going to carry on? And his answer is, leaders are going to carry on. And therefore, three times in this chapter 13, and not before this chapter, he refers to leaders in the church. Let me show you. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Then verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. They aren't same. There are leaders and there are saints. Those from Italy greet you. This book was probably written from Rome. Then the text for today, verse 17, obey your leaders. And submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So I take it as a given that there were leaders in this church. I go a little step farther and say, not only do I take it as a given that there were leaders in this church... I take it also as plain that the writer of Scripture here approves of that and wants to strengthen the relationship between leaders and people. That's why he refers to them these three times, especially here in verse 17. So he's in the last chapter of his writing. He's coming to the end. He sees his voice being stilled, as it were. Now who will take over? Now who will do what needs to be done? Now who will speak? Now who will model? Now who will organize? Now who will take risks and take stands and blow trumpets and do what needs to be done? And his answer is, leaders will. And so, the first point of this message, and probably the main point, is there ought to be leaders in churches. God has ordained and appointed that there be leaders in churches Now, we're Baptists by conviction, and we are Americans by providence. Baptists are the sort of people who historically love the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. We're talking all believers here. And they don't cotton too well to hierarchy. And Americans are people who are born and bred individualists and don't like anybody telling us to obey or submit to anybody. Those words, Right? You read those words in verse 17, obey, submit, and unbelievable defenses rise up in your mind. And all you can think of is Jim Jones. Right? That's right. That's right. I know it. So, we must let this check, I mean, let this text be a check on us to see if we're too Baptistic or too American to be Biblical. So, the first and main point is real simple. It's on the face of it. There were leaders in those churches, and it was a good thing. And the writers of Scripture approved of that and ordered that. They organized life around that reality. It was the will of God. So his teaching is almost over, and what will happen now? I think he would say, well, now... The book is to be read in the congregation. Leaders are to live it. Leaders are to teach it. Leaders are to apply it. And the people are to listen to them and watch them and be responsive to them and compliant with their leadership. That seems to be the gist of this verse here in verse 17 and verse 7 where it talks about imitation. So... What I have done, as I've examined this verse, is seen three things. I see the aim of leadership in the church. I see the means of leadership in the church. And the third thing I see is the response to leadership in the church. Now, um, as I finished the message yesterday, I realized that there's just way too much here for one message. I can't begin to get it in. So, I'll take... Uh, One and one-third of these points this morning, I think. That's how far I got in the first service, so that's where I'll cut it off in this service. So let's start with the aim of leadership. What this means, by the way, for ending the book of Hebrews is that I was wrong last week in my prediction, and I apologize. I said we're going to end in two weeks, and we're going to have a great service of consecration. Now that's two weeks from today, Lord willing. Because I need two weeks on this verse to do it justice because the third point I couldn't rush over at the end. Let's take point number one. What is the aim of leadership in the church? According to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you now there are two phrases in that verse that point to the aim of spiritual leadership and and let me put in parentheses here as i approached this verse i saw that it was addressed to the people obey your leaders it says but as i developed it i realized that today's message is to leaders This message this morning is addressed to the elders, the spiritual leaders of this church. And the reason you should care about listening in on this message is because in our church polity, the congregation may remove an elder, and it approves elders. Therefore, under Christ, the final authority lies with the congregation here. Therefore, you need to know what to expect from your elders. You need to know what kind of aims they should have and what kinds of strategies they should use that you might hold them accountable to fulfill their biblical office. So this is not irrelevant to this congregation, though I am speaking to myself and to the other 17 elders in this church. And, of course, leadership is a thing that kind of trails off into different manifestations, though I think... The elders are mainly in view in these verses. Okay, what's the aim then? Let's get real specific of the elders at Bethlehem. The first phrase I saw was the phrase at the end of the verse where it says that would not be or that would be unprofitable for you, or that would not be profitable for you. If, you. if you respond to elders in such a way that they serve in grief instead of joy, that would not be profitable for you. Now, do you hear an aim in that phrase of what the eldership is about? Would you agree with me? The aim of the eldership, according to that phrase, is the profit of the people. If it's a warning that they shouldn't be unprofitable for the people, the aim must be be profitable for the people. So the, the first point is elders exist to profit the people. Elders exist to benefit the people. Elders do not exist to enhance their own authority or their own status or anything like that. Which is why Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed in Luke 22 said, Let him who is a leader become as one who serves. That doesn't take away leadership, it transforms leadership. So the first aim is profit the people, benefit the people. Now the second phrase I saw was the earlier phrase in the verse... They are keeping watch or they keep watch over your souls or on behalf of your souls. Now, what that did for me was to bring the the broad term profit down to a real focused issue of soul profit. Soul, S-O-U-L, soul profit, soul benefit. Elders care about whether people are healthy, physically, and elders care about whether marriages stay together and many things. But our main concern is the soul. Now the soul is that you which goes on living when the body is smoldering in the grave. You go to be with Jesus, according to Philippians 1.20, or you go to hell, according to Matthew twenty five forty six. after you die. Health spas care about your physical health. Elders care about your spiritual health. Or another way to put it would be, elders care about long-term investment. Health clubs care about short-term investment. Long-term compared to short-term, meaning a vapor's breath of life on this earth in the body versus eternity. Our job as elders is mainly eternity. Mainly bringing souls into the condition that will inherit the kingdom of God. Forever and ever and ever. And believe me, if there is any misgiving now about that priority, I promise you, in a hundred years, none of you will fault an elder for that priority. None of you. What sort of profit for the soul, then, are we elders to pursue on your behalf? Now, this whole book is written to answer that question. Let's get one clear, specific word from chapter 10, verse 39. What are we aiming at in all of our eldering here? Chapter 10, verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith... To the preserving of the soul. So if you were to ask me, an elder here, what's your goal for the soul? What's your aim in all your organizing, in all your studying, in all your preaching, in all your writing, in all your visitation, in all your doing memorial services and so on, what's your aim for the soul? I would say... My aim is that the soul not shrink back to destruction, but that it have faith to the preser- preservation of its life for eternity. That's my aim. The book of Hebrews is about perseverance. The whole book is about perseverance. That is, not shrinking back from the course you have set yourself, but holding fast to faith and preserving that faith forever so that you come into the kingdom. So here's here's the way I would put it a little differently. The goal of the eldership at Bethlehem should be the salvation of the soul. Now there's a big problem with saying it like that. I know what that phrase means in American fundamentalism slash evangelicalism. Conservative American Christianity hears the phrase salvation of the soul and they mainly think conversion. Witnessing to the gospel, somebody's convicted of their sins, they put their faith in Jesus, and their soul is saved. Right there. Which is true. But it's only part of the truth. And this whole book is written for the rest of the story. Because what this book is so keenly aware of, the book of Hebrews, is that many people make a start like that. And five or ten or fifteen years later, they shrink back to destruction instead of holding the faith, and persevering to the salvation of the soul. This whole book of Hebrews is written to help me and you not just get saved, but be saved at the judgment day. And in the middle between that first profession of faith and the meeting of Christ at the judgment day, is called perseverance. And where perseverance does not happen, people are lost forever. And if you haven't been with us for all this time, you're asking, does he believe in the eternal security of the believer? And the answer is yes. And you're puzzled. I see it in a few faces. Because if you make shipwreck of that thing that was called faith while you sat in church mouthing those things, if you make shipwreck of that, you never were a born-again believer. You were a hypocrite. I base that on many texts, but let me just give you one, since this is the second service. I didn't do this in the first service. First John 2.19 They went out from us, Because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would not have gone out. But they went out that it might be plain that they were not of us. Couldn't be plainer. If you go out, that is, if you forsake the Christian faith utterly, you never were of us. Therefore, those who are of us are eternally secure because they bear witness to their security by perseverance to the end. But perseverance is a community project. Leaders bear tremendous weight to help the people of God persevere to the end. So when I say the goal of the eldership is the salvation of your soul, I mean every sermon I preach, every small group meeting you go to, every Sunday school class is a salvation sermon, a salvation small group gathering, a salvation Sunday school class. And that's important. That's what gives intensity to these moments. I preach every Sunday knowing your salvation hangs on this message. I believe that. You may not believe that. I don't know. But I believe that you are here this morning under the providence of God to hear a message which is a little piece of God's grace to preserve you for Himself. And if you begin to throw away the means of grace, Bible, worship, fellowship, Reading, prayer, if you begin to throw away the means of grace saying, I'm secure, I prayed to receive Jesus when I was six or at Billy Graham's. You will perish because you are designed as a born again, elect person of God to endure and persevere through the means of grace. And the throwing away of the means of grace is an evidence that you are not of God. People who are of God do not throw away the means of grace. They persevere to the end and therefore are saved. Do you you feel what that means for me as an elder? Salvation is my goal. And my guess is that 95% of you have been born of God. So that part of the work is done. And massive work remains to be done. It's very important. And these services are not games. I think, I mean, I'm still in a parenthesis here, and I'm going to find a way to keep this. I I think that one of the reasons there is so much tomfoolery in Christian worship is because many pastors do not believe this. They believe the main crucial thing happened already and I'm really not sure why we're here this morning except to make each other feel a little better. Well, I know why I'm here to save your soul. God uses the Word of God to beget and sustain faith. And hearing the Word of God week in and week out is one of the blessed means of grace by which we are kept for the day of salvation. That's a quote from 1 Peter one five, which is on my mother's grave. I love that verse. Kept by the power of God. Well, that's the aim. The aim of the eldership is the salvation of your soul. And everything we do is calculated to help you persevere in faith and the fruits of faith and the reward of faith, which is eternal life. Second question, and I'll just take it briefly here. Is the means of leadership. And there are three. Watchfulness, joyfulness, and seriousness. Let me only take one of those. I said I would get one and one third of the three points done, and this is the, this is the one third. Namely, watchfulness. And I'll pick it up here with joyfulness next week. But let me just take a minute here on watchfulness. You see that in verse 17? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Or more literally, they are watching for the sake of your souls or on behalf of your souls. And there are four things that we watch. Number one, we watch the Word of God. Elders are men of the Word. Chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the Word of God to you. Our job is to know the Word, to be apt to teach, to speak the Word, to model the Word, to live out the Word, so that you can hear the Word week in and week out. Chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, so that we don't drift away. That's what this book is so concerned about, drifting away. And I come to this service every Sunday knowing some are drifting. And if you don't stop drifting, you'll perish. And the Word is used to draw people back again and again from drifting. So it's a salvation sermon. Second, we are to watch Christ in the Word. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, In the last days, in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. So if the Word of God is central, the Son must be central because the Son is central to the Word. And the Son of God must be the center of our preaching. And our teaching, in our lives. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. If you ever get the impression that something has happened in the eldership of this church so that you have stopped hearing the message, consider Jesus, consider Jesus, consider God, think God, think Jesus. If some other thing begins to be the center, you need a. You need to come. You need to begin to be concerned. You need to come to the elders and call them, call them to an account. The third thing we watch is our conduct. Chapter 13 verse 7, remember those who led you considering the result of their conduct. Consider the conduct of the elders. Imitate their faith. Now this is a heavy for us. All Christians should be godly and exemplary. But the Bible says to ordinary saints who are to be godly and exemplary, imitate John. Which means that at the judgment day, Eighteen elders, and especially me, will bear far more responsibility than any of you for the way I've lived. Because not only can you stumble and hurt yourself, if I stumble, I can destroy thousands. There are higher standards for leadership in the New Testament than there are for membership in the church. It's plain from 1 Timothy 3. It should be more difficult to become an elder in this church than to become a member of this church. And you should know what those higher standards are and hold them accountable. And if we stumble and fall It should be much harder to restore us to the eldership than it is to restore you to the membership. The way I look at the church, it's just a carnage of a battlefield. People getting ripped to shreds by sin everywhere. And that's just the way it's going to be. Therefore, as members make successes and fail and fall and rise and sin and get forgiven and we 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 get in each other's faces and then we restore, that's going to be happening all over the place. Not on the eldership. Now That's probably going to sound more perfectionistic than it is. I had to call up a guy in uh, Portland or nearby and apologize for a public thing I said at a public gathering a couple of weeks ago. The grapevine just took it all the way to to, uh, Oregon. And he called me, just like he's supposed to biblically, and said... Did you say that? I said, I did. And I'm sorry. I broke rule number one. Go to the man first before you say anything publicly. So, um, I'm not perfect. And none of these elders is perfect. And if we don't keep short accounts like that, and hand genuine forgiveness and willingness to humble ourselves before people publicly or privately, we're not fit. But I'm going to state it again the standards are higher and if we fail then getting back into the eldership should be very very difficult. And the final thing we watch is you. That's right there in the verse. Um, They watch over your soul. Watch the people. Now, there are 1,200 of you, roughly, and there are 18 of us, roughly. And knowing you is very difficult. Therefore, We have inferred from text like chapter 10, verse 25, where it says to you, consider one another for stirring up to love and good deeds. And we have inferred that the body life of the church, the one another in each other's lives, in each other's faces, stirring up, holding accountable, is part of the way we shepherd you so that we... Design a system of small groups. We oversee a system of small groups. We meet with the leaders of the small groups. We pray for the leaders of the small groups. We model things in small groups. But if you opt out of our design, you can do that. You can make verse 17 almost unworkable for us. If you want to pull away from accountability and away from leadership, you can do it. But I would plead with you not to do that. We will be held accountable and you will be held accountable for a kind of relationship that guards your soul and brings you back from sinning and from error.